Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in the world, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you, the listeners, can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Random Productions and can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. I am, as always, your chief philanthropod and class clown for D gerrymandering, Jesse Ulrich. And I am your vice admiral philanthropod and class clown for not presuming to know more about women's bodies than they do, Chris Miller. That was good. That was good. Today, our guest is Tommy Yap, the legislative and policy analyst for Metriarch. We talked to Tommy about the severe lack of childcare in this state, our convoluted state legislatural process, and why gerrymandering sucks. It does. Enjoy. We are very excited to have someone who's already been on the podcast, friend of the podcast, Tommy Yap from Metriarch. Tommy, welcome back to welcome welcome back to Pod for Good. How are you doing today? I am good. I have my own personal heater next to me, and it's been great. <laughs> for, for our listeners, we're recording this on January twenty second, the day that the entire town thought they were going to be iced in, and kind of were, depending on where you lived and how adventurous you were with your car. <laughs> so, so Tommy, l- l- you know, just to remind our listeners, last time we had you on, you were talking about the the Tulsa voter van, which was a great idea which hopefully we can bring back in the future. But today we were talking about your, your actual day job, which, so first of all, tell us, tell us who you work for and what you do. Yes. So I work for a group called Metriarch, with an E, <laughs> and uh, it's a women's public health think tank that focuses on women here in Oklahoma. And although we, you know, we, we use the term women and it sounds very gendered, we actually use more expansive kind of use of that word. But when we are talking about the policy and the data, that is the terminology that is used. So that's a, pretty much the reason why we, we use women specifically. But we do approach as a, as a gender expansive, and we just cover everything public health. I mean, everything. <laughs> so a think tank, right? I, I love think tanks because think tanks have the freedom to just try out things, be like, Let's see if we explain it this particular way, if this works, right? The goal is always the same, to change public policy, to change people's minds about it. But they're like, well, maybe let's try phrasing it this way and see if this catches on. And I'm excited this exists because Oklahoma is constantly, I feel like we are fighting, we're fighting, it feels like culture wars from 20 years ago, as well as today's culture wars at the same time. And that can be very frustrating. And a lot of our government lives in places that are not Tulsa and Oklahoma City. And so we are arguing against people who live completely different lives than us. And that's frustrating at times. Yeah. And fun fact, that's mostly because of gerrymandering, which is what we talked about last time. Yes. <laughs> we true. hate gerrymandering. Gerrymandering's bad. Gerrymandering. It doesn't even say, it's not even a good sounding term, right? I'm amazed they haven't come up with a better sounding term for gerrymandering. So, but Maybe I, I, I won't give them ideas. Maybe come up with a new word. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably think tanks out there trying to come up with a replacement word for it to make it sound more palatable. So what would you say right now is like the number one problem or issue with, with uh, women's health and sort of women's issues in Oklahoma today? Oh, yeah. Let's boil it down to one. That's easy. Yes. Pick um, one. <laughs> I, this, I, this is going to be a cop-out cheating answer, but I guess you could say like respect. <laughs> just kind of just respect. You know, respect that women exist and can have their own bodily autonomy. And that's not just talking about those hot button issues. I mean, in general, 
they can work. You know, I, I only use the word they because obviously I'm not a woman and I'm looking at aggregate data here, but women can work, women can have children and still go to work. That's one thing we've talked about a lot early lately is uh, paid family medical leave. Um, so it's just kind of respect, you know? Well, so let's give, let's give the other side a small benefit of the doubt and say like, maybe they also think they are respecting women by being horrible. What is so it respect, I guess, respect in what sense? Like what, what is it that, that Oklahoma politicians, especially on the right are not respecting about women and their bodies? I just, well, first, you know, we don't, we don't talk exclusively about women's bodies. That's, that's, you know, that banner issue, it, it gets the headlines. But like I said, we, we are talking about like paid family medical leave. We dabble a little bit in like childcare access. because That's a massive like issue right now in Oklahoma. And so I think one thing to lean in on is women, we, okay, let me put it this way. We, we hesitate to frame women as women have children. Women have husbands because women are autonomous. But, you know, many people, women or men or those who have children, they want they want opportunity. And right now, Oklahoma is struggling severely with brain drain. And that's one thing that women want is economic mobility and the ability to come into the state. And when it comes to, let's say, the other side, quote unquote, is they also want economic mobility. They also want economic prosperity. But there seems to be a slight disconnect when it's providing that opportunity that's attractive to women. And that's, again, coming back to like childcare access or programs that encourage women to join typically under underrepresented areas. So areas in the workforce. So I think it's if you want to boil it down, you know, let's just say women want to have a good life with a com- a comfortable life with a house, two cars or two kids and a car, two two kids and a dog. <laughs> and yeah, I really don't have a solid answer on that. It's just we all want to have a good life. Attract mm-hmm. people who come here and if it's the other side or not, just think of it this way. Women spend money. Women want to make money and spend money. So let's respect half of the population. Well, it's always it's always interesting to me because you do see politicians sort of talking about how they want economic development. They want to attract employers. They want to retain people in this state. And then at the same time, they go and do the specific things that the people they want to retain that the companies that they want to attract tell them is going to drive them away. And it just, it's such a strange disconnect to me that they, they, that people can't seem to grasp that that's what they're, what they're doing. You know, if you really want a good way to illustrate that and you like looking at charts and numbers, the Oklahoma city chamber of commerce came out with a report that really reflects that. And it's not coming from those banner social issues. It's, it's, they did a survey of what would make you want to come to Oklahoma City specifically. And the number one thing was childcare access. Mm-hmm. Companies were like, our employees want to be able to drop off their kid and then come to work. And that's, that's now why there's been a lot of talk about it. But it, it's, yes, it is that exactly. And it's been done in charts, graphs, numbers. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we can't, completely avoid the hot button issues. I mean, I think either today or yesterday, Kamala Harris had a speech talking about how 
the top 10 states for the in maternal death rates are the, all have severe abortion bans. And it shows that there is intersectionality between all of these health issues, that they all seem to, the states that, that restrict healthcare for women are also the states where women don't live as long. I mean, it seems like an obvious thing, but it's there and it, it doesn't seem that, I don't know, that people care about that. Yep. I've seen that. I didn't hear that speech, but I've seen that map. And it's very similar with education. Education reflects that as well, that people don't really want to go and people want to leave in states that don't have the best education. And here we are going in and banning things like DEI now, I mean, or at least the attempts and interfering with NCAA rules. And now NCAA really doesn't want to come here. Mm -hmm. And me, sports person. But that's it, you're right. It's it's these interesting intersections, and it's not just reproductive and maternal health. It's it's overall. You see a lot of these draconian laws, and then people don't want to come. And fun fact that has been brought up on the floor of the state legislature multiple times, and each time the response is, "Well, we don't want them here anyway." Yeah, but then our governor and lieutenant governor and chambers go and spend millions of dollars to attract these employers that are never going to come here because of those same laws and you know it it is because of gerrymandering and because the largely the split between urban and rural where you have groups that want to focus on ideology other groups that would prefer to to focus on economic development but because of gerrymandering still have to focus on ideology or they won't get reelected and so you end up getting nothing productive done and you instead get a legislature that tends to attack the most attack the most vulnerable members of of Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, not really a question there, just uh yeah. I guess I'm just ranting a little bit there. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, I the only thing I was going to say was yep. <laughs> yeah. It's it's frustrating that there's an interesting split in let's say let's say the National Republican Party and local Republican parties in the sense that there are Republicans who do believe in economic development and attracting talent and building the, I wouldn't say building the tax base, but building the amount of people paying taxes, right? But they are partnered with people who want to pass laws, making it hard to do those things. And yet they keep working together. And I still to this day do not understand this. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. the, the, the Chamber of Commerce Republicans and the Social Warrior Republicans, how do they have meetings together? I don't know. I wonder the same things. But I mean, I don't want to turn this into like an economics podcast. It's just, it's one of the things that we we do talk about a lot is economics, because unfortunately, that's, that does tend to cross the aisle, per se, or at least it does tend to cross the social issue divide is, hey, people want reproductive freedom, and they want to have bodily autonomy. And that's not, or that's why they're not coming here. I guess, like, so what feedback have you got from legislators who say support some of these bills, but who don't, they don't support it as like a zealot or a fanatic. They support it because like, that's what their party is wanting them to do, but have other ideas and would like to do other things. Like what, what is your relationship with them like? So I'll kind of answer that twice or in two parts, which is one, yeah, we've talked to legislators in that position where it's like, they go with it because the party is expectant, expecting them to, but I wouldn't go as far as to say the party. It's more like that, uh, you know, 
smoke and mirror back of the closet, cloakroom, whatever it's called, cigars, whiskey, politics at the Capitol, where it's, okay, I'll go with this because then you'll go with this. And well, I don't really, personally, I don't care enough about it this much. So I'll go with your vote if you then will in, will go with my bill. And that's not an Oklahoma problem. That's in every single legislature or legislature type type body we have in the U.S. When it comes to when we work with people who are Republicans or even, you know, even just anyone in the legislature, this is not a party issue. It's just when we work with someone who we know we don't agree on maybe most of anything else, we had a speaker in two years or three years ago, and she talked about this principle of calling in where it's like you try to meet each other at the lowest point possible so that you can at least work towards that lowest point possible. And that's what we really try to work on is like when it comes to contraception access is we just meet someone and we work on contraception and we kind of just ignore the rest of it. We work on paid family medical leave and we just kind of ignore the rest of it. It's like you want paid family medical. I, you know, what great we do too. You want contraception to be legal and maintain and affirm it's, it's it, that it's legal. Great. We do too. And that's, that's kind of, you got to compartmentalize, especially when you're trying to advance some of these things, at least from our angle. So you've mentioned childcare a couple times, and that's one that, you know, frankly, I, I, I don't have kids. So I, I've seen other friends, family struggle with childcare, but it's not something that I've thought of as like an expansive issue, but it does seem like the type of issue that could cross the aisle, that could cross political parties because it's something that most people would have either direct or indirect experience with. So why, what has caused there to be such a shortage and why has it been difficult to try to change that? I, I'm actually not sure on the shortage. It's just not my policy forte, my policy expertise. But I will say that looking at the bills that are coming in and hearing legislators talk and even knowing a couple, it seems to be going into this session, at least the cross-aisle issue. It's the one where people will truly agree on like, hey, this is a problem and we will work together to work towards something because we maybe would think like, oh, education might be like that. Yeah, it's not. Or healthcare access or even rural hospital access. Oh, maybe those. Oh, no, no, it's not. It's childcare access, at least this session where people are really latching on. Unfortunately, you know, when a lot of people care about something and they want to advance something you get some competing proposals that may end up spoiling it for everybody. And that does happen, unfortunately. Hopefully this doesn't. But I do know from talking points that I've heard that just there's not enough spaces. Like there's just not enough little chairs for all those little people and those little humans. There's not enough chairs for them. And if there is a chair for them, it's like half of someone's monthly income. I've, I've seen some metrics kind of like that. So that's that's the access problem. And hopefully there's going to be stuff to improve that. But sometimes you do have too many cooks in the kitchen. You would think that's a place where a state like Oklahoma could actually try to excel and compete with larger, more expensive states is trying to make affordable childcare. That would be, that would be in a very... And I, I guess I don't know what the problem with affordable childcare, like, I know it's a problem. I know, I kind of know why it's a problem. I don't know why governments have a problem handling this, right? Like, like you, need, you need places, 
you need trained people and you need subsidies. Like we do this for lots of other things in the world. Like why, why has no state been able to figure this out? You know, I, the, you know how there's that principle where it's like you go so, so, go so far in a political spectrum, you end up on the other side where people complain about like, oh my God, my healthcare is so expensive. I can't afford it. I'm a hundred thousand dollars in debt. The government should do something. Yeah. That's called socialized medicine. I've seen a couple of people in prominent in like both legislators and just people who are talking heads, I guess you could call them. And they'll complain and they'll complain about childcare. And then they'll be like, the government should do something about it. I'm like, yeah, but California does. <laughs> a lot of elementary schools in California have like pre-K, which is just childcare access. Yeah. And I'm like, you've gone so far right. You're back at left. And that just, it, for some reason, it doesn't click. And I, I don't know why. But from, to answer what you said, though, it's, from what I hear is there's not a lot of costs. There's not a lot of profit margin and not profit to make money, like operating profit. Mm. Um, it's harder to keep staff on. It's, I guess, the licensing and stuff is a, is a little weird. And they're trying to update this, all of this with, with subsidies and more and more subsidies. That's probably what's going to come out of it this session. It's just subsidies. And my experience with this is from quite a few years ago. So I'm, cer- I'm sure it, it might have changed. But my understanding is there was a problem similar to what they were seeing with the housing shortage, which was there actually were some subsidies available, but there weren't enough qualified daycares that were willing to take them. So the people who did qualify for subsidized, yes, for for subsidized childcare couldn't find qualified places where that were willing to accept their subsidized, yeah, their so similar to the voucher program with housing, where there's more vouchers than actual homes available, it was the same way with childcare. They couldn't find daycares that were willing to take those subsidized vouchers. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Like I said, this one isn't my my policy expertise. Yeah. Like, I don't know all the the depth of it. It's just working in this space enough, you, you start to hear a, a lot of the, the the talking points. And one things that we have talked about is like the the cost of living for like a, a single parent, mostly a single mom, because this, we, we would say a single mom, because this, thanks to the wage gap, a single mom is bringing in even less money than what you would possibly theoretically consider a single dad, just by looking at the numbers and the metrics and crunching that down. So if we're now talking about a single mom who is making, unfortunately, less money, especially in Oklahoma, where we have one of the highest wage gaps, now you're saying, okay, but now get childcare. Oh, and that childcare is only half, is going to take up half of your monthly income. Oh, and this. And it just comes back to how we try to present that not all women are moms. Women are independent beings without children, but just look at the situation this, this woman, this single mom is now in because of all these other factors. So you've mentioned that, that you look at more of an expansive view gender when you're talking about healthcare issues. Does that include the issues that the state of Oklahoma has created related to trans healthcare as well? Is that something that you all dabble in? Yeah, we do. Again, I I would, when I say it's not my specialty, I mean, I don't know very much about childcare access. When I say like gender affirming care or trans-related healthcare isn't my issue, it's just not something I primarily talk about. Although it is something that we we've watched and I've watched it, it we I would do some 
discussions and presentations with people to explain the the different bills that were out there, how they were interacting. And once the attorney general put out that notice that kind of said, no, we're not going to enforce it. So I, I, I know it. I can, I can talk about it. I wouldn't say that it's something that I really like put out there as this is what we talk about. Uh, I know there are other groups in Oklahoma and Tulsa and Oklahoma City, of course, that this is like what they talk about. And mm-hmm. I know I personally don't want to step on anyone's toes. And if it's something sure. you know more about, I don't, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to interfere over there, say something that's incorrect. This is not a zero sum space and I will happily defer. So what is for 2024, now that we are in 2024, what is Metriarch, what is your big focus for this, this year and this upcoming, whatever our weird mm-hmm. legislative sessions are? Mm-hmm. Well, our big focus and what it looks like the legislature is focusing on are two different things. And sometimes you just got to follow what the legislature is doing, <laughs> no matter what you want. In terms of looking towards the, for on our end, there's this, this fund. And at this, if this is too wonky, go ahead and cut it out. <laughs> no, n- n- never too wonky. The wonkier, the better. But yeah. So there's this fund. It's called the Choosing Childbirth Act. And it was passed like four or five years ago. And as you can hear from the name, it's meant to fund people who choose childbirth away from abortion. So that's what it was supposed to do. And over the years, it's grown to have $8 million in it. And it also has added some things that can it be now it can be spent on. You know, at first it was only only before childbirth now it can be after childbirth as well maternal health and so it's it's like it's this fund that has all these great parameters on it it's really never ever been dispensed no money has ever come out of this thing in like four or five years and unfortunately the it's just there's groups involved that are have a lot of rules with with which they want applicants to adhere to and it's very hard for applicants to adhere to all of these rules. So one thing that we're looking at is to not not dismantle it in any way. We want it, we want that money. We just want it to be used. Like this is what we want. We want eight million dollars to go towards maternal health because that's a lot of freaking money. And as you mentioned, Oklahoma has terrible maternal health outcomes. <laughs> so that's that's one thing we're really watching and. Fortunately, there's, I think, three bills out there. Uh, and, and we we talked to a couple legislators when it kind of when they asked about drafting them, like what 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 would be a good move forward with them. When it comes to what the legislature wants to do is domestic violence and violence-related issues seems to be what has really compelled a lot of legislators to file a lot of bills. And I mean a lot. Like I was surprised with how many. And it's a lot of increased criminalization of those who are the abusers and those causing violence. It's a lot of over, it's a lot of criminalization. And I say over criminalization, but that's for a lot of factors behind it. I don't not, I don't want less penalty for domestic violence and domestic abusers. It's just, there's some stuff behind it where over criminalization is not probably the best path, but that seems to be the path. How much do you pay attention to, because this time of year, obviously lots of bills get filed, 
a lot of insane bills that'll probably never see the light of day. But how much do you pay attention to those? I mean, there's the one making a lot of headlines about the crazy guy who wants to make divorce more difficult. There's the one about furries. I mean, how much do you all pay attention to those kind of bills? I mean, off the record, on the record, this is being recorded in my <laughs> bill tracker software. I, I have a category called LOL. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. You just see them and you're just like, I know this isn't going to go anywhere, but sometimes you just need to bust it out at a party. Not at a real party. I'm quite the downer at a party. <laughs> sometimes you just got to bring them out and be like, no, this is real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's funny is I just saw an article about that, the furry bill today. And I was like, really? Again, like, d- didn't we have a thing about Bigfoot a while ago? Wait, no, that was actually a pretty good bill. Let me let me the, clarify why the, I actually liked that bill. The the Bigfoot because one it, or the furry one? Yeah, the, the Bigfoot one. <laughs> the Bigfoot one. Okay. But the premise of that bill, and I I'm not, I only jump on it because I feel like I defended a lot because the, the news was terrible at explaining it. They just wanted to sell, quote unquote, Bigfoot hunting licenses mm-hmm. as a fundraiser for the state. But it was kitschy because it was a Bigfoot hunting license. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is... It's, it sounds really dumb, but I'm like, I don't know. It'd be kind of a cool little just yeah. Bigfoot hunter momentum. Yeah. Mo- uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. So that one, great idea. <laughs> the anti-furry, which I, I'm yeah. not even 100% sure what the law is trying to do exactly. But yeah. it's really just, it's just a uh, continuing to talk about that failed trope of kids are using the restroom in litter boxes. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. all it is. It's just, it's ridiculous. It, it, here's what's interesting, though. Is if I'm correct, because I haven't seen it today, I've seen probably 100 plus bills today. But if I remember correctly, it's, it's a house bill. It's HB something, and an HB means house bill. House members only get like seven or eight bills to file a year. That means of those seven or eight bills, this representative chose the furry bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He's That's even already can. backpedaled on it and basically said he was mm. just trying to continue the conversation about it as though it was a real what conversation. Thing Who was talking not, about it? And not a fake internet thing that some national pundits decided to latch on to. Yeah. <laughs> so. <sighs> If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, ugh, gross. You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber rich. Tallgrass begs to differ. Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess, because they're nerds, over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan's exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918 918- Seven seven zero eight nine four zero, and start your plan today, or visit their website 
at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation. For free! It's right there on the website. And of course, there's more because this is a podcast ad. If you tell them you're a Pod for Good listener, they're going to take 25% off their service fees. Just tell them Pod for Good sent you. Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website, which I'm not going to read out to you again. It's in our show notes. Thank you, Tallgrass. The sad, the sad reality is what started it was because there were some schools that did that that had them as as part of their lockdown protocols. They kept kitty litter in in storage in their um, schools as like weighted bags to like block doors. I, I I'm not sure, but that's what it was. It was part of their their lockdown supplies. So if they were locked down in there, and they're like, oh, this is because kids think they're animals. Let's make a story. <laughs> I don't think I that's why they had it. I did not yeah. know that was what the the source yeah. was. It's always <laughs> no. it's always darker than you want it to be. I know. No, I mean, like, I mean, again, growing up in Oklahoma, I remember being told this at a very early age as a family that did not own trucks. It's like one of the best things to do when it was icy outside was to put bags of key later in your truck to weigh the truck down, so they oh. would not backflip, so the back wouldn't tail out because because. Mm-hmm. Litter is one of the few things you can buy that's like 40 pounds heavy. <laughs> that's like, like yeah. easily accessible in stores. So let's, let's do a little educating our audience because like, you know, again, like I, I think most people believe that they are very knowledgeable about the government, the local government in which they live, but always don't truly know how bizarre it is. So like give us some, some facts about the Oklahoma legislature and how I would say weird it's, it's, system of legislating is the number one thing that baff i just came back from a national conference and we have national partners like we are i wouldn't say matriarchs like big time we're we're across the country coast to coast but we do have national partners and we talk to national people and when i tell them that there is zero way for the public to enter the legislative process they think i'm kidding like straight up think i'm kidding right now that let's take Let's take that furry bill and let's just say it moves forward. If I'm 99.9% sure it won't, but let's just say that it moves forward. And let's just say that it moves two steps into the process, which would be by the time it gets to the floor of the house it started in. And then let's say it passes and it goes halfway through the Senate. All of those points, we don't get to comment on it ever. We don't get to, to come in and do a testimony. We don't get to write a letter. We don't get to do any of that stuff. We just watch it from the live streams or you can go watch it there and you can write an op-ed or you can contact your representative. And, and that is that is it. There's no entry point. And even in other states with, that we think we're analogous to, like Missouri, there's entry points. People can come in and speak on behalf of the bill. How much the legislators listening is like not the point they at least can enter and that's i think that's the the biggest one that i'm like i I try to tell people again national partners and they don't believe me well i haven't i haven't actually ever thought about that the fact that we can't do that i mean you can even do that in city council meetings for ordinance 
<laughs> right. A, a mostly meaningless ordinance at the city. You can go and speak for a while about it. You can say a prayer, as we know. You can say, uh, <laughs> you can say a prayer every so, for every speaking point. But yeah, the legislature can't at all. I guess that's why the the that's probably why they're trying to make it more difficult to pass state questions because it's the only place we have any kind of input into legislating at all is through state questions. Yeah, and when people vote in Oklahoma, we realize that even if something you would like that would be considered maybe on the left, I get I don't have a better way to put it, like legalization of marijuana, which did fail, you still see the percentages of how how much stuff fails and passes. And it just shows that the the supermajority is more conservative than probably the rest of the state. Oh yeah, absolutely. The legislature is proven to be substantially more conservative than the actual state is, you know, and it's somewhat a byproduct of a representative government. And then obviously back to our friend gerrymandering that keeps it that way. No, so I'm, I'm not even going to joke and say gerrymandering is a friend. He's a friend. <laughs> it's clearly the, a he. The other one that I would mention is I don't have it on hand. I'm, I'm probably, it probably makes me a bad uh, policy analyst, but I don't have it on hand. But between the two chambers, I mean, the the number of women legislators is low. I mean, really low. I think at one point within the last couple of years, we have one of the, like, the lowest percentages of the country. And this, again, this is not, this one's not partisan in any way. This is between both parties. Mm-hmm. The amount of, the number of women legislators is is very low, especially given, again, women make up 50% or so of the population. So going back to the when the pub, you know Johnny Q public has the ability when when do you said like so it, it goes like through the house into the senate is there a point when the senate is deliberating on a bill that the public is allowed to comment on it? and how does that work you can yell from the peanut gallery and that's then it. you'll be escorted out i don't know so, that is the only so answer that's it so the, so Oklahoma really has no public None. input to None. bills and the only thing you can do is yeah. try to pester your rep and hope yeah. that they yeah. speak for you. Yep. And if, and I, I'm not 100 percent accurate on this, but like the Oklahoma legislature is is not in session all year. It's like a, is it three months, four months? It's February to May. Okay. So yeah, three ish months, and the, the, well, that's not wait, counting wait. like emergency sessions and other. I was about to say, wait a second. For the past like two years, we've had so many freaking extraordinary yeah. sessions. Yeah. yeah, it feels like they're there all year round. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. The joke for a little while was, oh, they just want their travel, their travel money per diem. <laughs> That's why they keep coming back. Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, the, this is a much bigger issue across our country. But like, I am a fan of like professionalizing government in the sense that, like, if someone is running for a state office, even a city office, like, it should be their full time job. And it should be paid as a full-time job because the world gets more complicated and you can't squeeze that complication into a session that only gives you three months because the bills have to be all prepared before the session, right? I feel like I remember this. January 18th. So if anything happens in, say, April that is important for the legislature to get to, they have to like file it for the next year or for the next session. That's a weighty question. Um, <laughs> if you're not including shenanigans, 
yes. <laughs> okay. How do shenanigans play into it then? So if someone wants to bring something up in April, but they didn't file it before the session, how does that, how does that work? So there, it, there's, only, it, there's a couple ways, but it's using the same mechanism. And, you know, think of the words substitute and amendment. Just think of those words and what they might mean. Yeah, yeah. there's no definition down there. So a substitute means that you are taking out the entire bill and putting in brand new language. And then an amendment is the same. So, <laughs> so an amendment you might think is taking out a couple words, but they can work the same. And usually it's a substitute, but that's neither here nor there. So if you're into that point way in, what you will see is if something new comes up that they really want to address or someone gets a new idea or something becomes way more important to them in that moment and maybe it died earlier, they'll grab a bill that's still in play. They'll take out all of the text and they'll pop in a brand new bill. And they're allowed to do that. Absolutely. That's cheating. That's cheating. <laughs> but well, you, here's what, you have to have some way, right? No, I and agree. Since, you have to have some since way. Since the rules don't allow you to actually file yeah, when something yeah. comes up, I'm not saying it's good because it definitely has been used for evil. I'm just yeah, saying you have yeah, to have some just, way. And is, one, being, is it? Yeah. Is it one of those you're things where like they so can't? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. So idealistic. It's unreal. <laughs> I just, I don't understand when they see like, is it one of those things where they have to change the constitution to allow them to introduce new bills once the session has started? Or is it just like a tradition thing? They just haven't broken for reasons. I don't know why they they have the time they do. Not a lot of states have full-time legislatures, but Texas doesn't, but California does, even though Texas is the second largest state. I mean, I, I don't really know the, the, the rhyme or reason. That's some history I just don't have in my head, which I actually am glad to say that. When it comes to these kind of mechanisms, though, I mean, they're just kind of gross parliamentary procedure that many, many, many states, if not the federal government, probably have. And Chris, you're being way too nice. Way too, <laughs> way too idealistic here. I have watched, I have watched pills come all the way down and just bam, now it's something that's just not great. I think at one point I watched the, the Save Women's Sports Bill, which is the... <laughs> you know, the anti-trans yeah. sports yeah. bill. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one like died at one point and then it just magically appeared at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. It's a different bill. It's a different bill I'm thinking of. The anti-CRT bill, which passed as 1775 two, three years ago. It started as a different bill. Then it kind of died. And then they actually added it to another bill. They just plucked it in instead of just substituting it out. And then that one died. And then they just found a bill later on in the process to strip it and put it in. It was three different bill numbers. <laughs> and they also do that because it makes it harder to track whether you're me who does this mm. for a living or whether you're just like you all who just are interested in it. They do yeah. it to really kind of mess with you. I don't like it. No, me neither. No. <laughs> I, don't like, I, I don't like it. I don't like the shadiness. I don't like the fact that, again, they're only in session for three months not counting the extraordinary sessions that seem to go on forever, but those always are always seem to be around taxes in the budget. I don't know. Are, a system designed in the 1800s for running a legislature are not rules that should dictate what our legislature should do now. Again, this goes back to my just general liberalism and my view of the constitution as a, as a document that was written at a time 
with specific things in existence and those things not being in existence now or completely changed and we should change with it. But I, I just, I'm very frustrated by the fact that like, I just, live are in you state- trying to take my guns from me right now? Sounds yes. like you're trying to take my guns <laughs> yes, from I me. Am. I am. I don't have, I don't own any guns, Chris. I don't think I don't, you I don't own either. any guns. I don't own any guns. No. My dad owns a gun, apparently. <laughs> it still surprised me to this day. The one thing he was able to hide from me in my entire childhood is that there was a gun in our house. But he put it in the, the, on the tallest shelf that he knew I would never be able to reach, and, which is cruel. Anyway. Okay, so... Let so okay. I I feel weird transitioning to like what people can do since there's nothing they can do about bills. But maybe you have something that our listeners can do other than just badgering their state representatives. Badger your state representative. That's number uh, one. Yeah, actually, okay. Here's the thing. Anytime you talk to an organizer or someone who's politically involved in some way, they're going to tell you the same crap, and it just gets repetitive and redundant. Um, and I don't I don't have much else to say other than the typical here which is contacting your state legislature, making friends with the the legislative assistant. But I think one way to really make a difference, and this is probably a benefit of Oklahoma, at least living in the more urban areas like Oklahoma City and and Tulsa, is it's actually kind of easy to just make like a work friend-ish, hey, you recognize me with your legislator. And that, that, that can go farther. I, I go yeah. to legislative events around Tulsa because I'm me, and the, most of the legislators recognize, at least Tulsa the legislators recognize me, but it's because I go to all of their events and I'm able to talk to them because there's only three other people there. I know it <laughs> sounds like a big step to say, just go to your legislature's event. If you find out your legislature's event is from like six to seven, just show up at 6.50. Like... <laughs> They're, All right, listen. I there. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. Chris and, and I can do that. I, we can show up to events. Here's what I tell people also that the big one, especially when it comes to like going to these legislator events, they're just people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I cannot stress this enough. We had a legislator, a group of legislators at our last conference, Lady Charts, and uh, they're getting a panel and just the familiarity and like they're, they were just a good listen. They were great speakers. They were, they're witty. They're funny. They're charismatic. I was able to jib jab with them a little bit. And it's afterwards people, a couple people came up to me and they're like, Oh my God, you're right. They're just people. Yes. (laughs) They're just people. So I, if you really want one of that insider kind of statement is go talk to them. Just go, just cut out the digital communication and just go talk to them. Because the districts in Oklahoma City and Tulsa aren't that big. You can probably, I can't speak to rural rural districts, but in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, they're just not that big. You can, you can go. I, I have faith in you. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've, I have it. I've, I've, I think met her maybe once in person, but I've interacted over email and stuff quite a bit. And my senator has a lot of the same frustrations <laughs> that I do. Especially when speaking off the record, I think that you're right. <laughs> they, they they do come across as just people, people dealing yeah. with sometimes bad situation, trying to make the best of it. And also, this isn't just a if you've met them in person kind of statement. This is just a general statement where, you know, I've called email people in representatives and senators in, in outer areas, rural areas that I've never met, never talked to. To the point where they're just people. I mean, 
there's a chance, like you got about a 50-50 chance that they're responding to you personally from their phone on their couch. Like they're just people. (laughs) I can't confess this enough. We just get this idealistic thing of, you know, maybe we see them on the floor, we see them in a headshot, or we look at our, our federal representatives and like they're, oh my gosh, they're a senator. No, come on. A lot of the Democratic contingency in, in both houses are they're teach, they're former teachers, not even the Democratic. There's a, there's a great number of Republicans also who they are just former teachers, former coaches. Sorry, I just looked up who my, my House and state House and senators were, but then also showed me like my national ones and that just depressed me. I noticed that that both of mine are female, so I'm like, am I the? I wonder how many districts in Oklahoma have their senator and and House rep are both both female. Yeah, my my senator is David Rader, J- Senator J. David Rader. Hmm. I actually uh, like Senator Rader. He was a coach. Yeah, he was. He was I'm a like, coach. he's definitely he was a TU coach, he was coach right? TU coach. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Um, not to not to hype him up here. It's just I, I, he's he's definitely someone who's very easy, practical to talk to. Listens. Look at me dispelling myths about yeah. POV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it. It is funny. I've. I have experienced in my own lifetime, especially over the last say, eight years, a, a shift in my relations with lots of Republicans that I do know, where like we, there's been more more areas for agreement than there once were in lots of interesting ways, because depending on what they cared about and what has actually happened. But okay, so your your <laughs> reps and senators are people. Contact them. Good to remember. Also, that. try to become. Yeah. Elected yeah. officials. That's that's a thing you yeah. can do. Both Ty Pros and Leo Tulsa have like training programs for getting involved in government. Do them. Chris and I ha- Chris and I too have too many skeletons, skeletons in our in closets closet. to run for office. <laughs> I've said too many things in public places. I would never awesome. get elected in the state. That's fine. I, I, I'll, Jesse, I'll do more. Jesse, there's other reasons you would never get yeah, elected there, in the there, state. Yeah. yeah. Oklahoma's not gonna elect a Jewish representative. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um Sorry, uh, if I could just also add one thing to that. It's just yeah. people. Yeah, I do have one other thing. And yeah. I apologize. Think of all of the topics that a legislator or a, a senator or a representative or just, hey, throw in the governor. Why not? And think of all the topics they have to decide on. We're asking, let's say, Senator Dossett, who is here in Tulsa, to vote on like rural water mm-hmm. issues. <laughs> like. She's being asked to vote on and make decisions on behalf of like rural water. Like I've seen that bill come across at well point or like, you know, like some like Red River Dam project. Like this is what they're being asked to do. And every single one of them is being asked and tasked to do this. So when you do go talk to a representative, and let's say you don't want to go talk to them in person or on the phone, and you don't want to go meet them in person kind of thing, and you do email them, approach your letter or your email or whatever with the remembering you are the expert in the issue. They probably know nothing about that issue, or they know relatively little, or quite frankly, they're listening to me. And if you don't like what I'm saying... Go tell them. Say, I am the expert. Don't listen to this fool. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm talking about. So if you all see like a, I can't even think of something offhand, but just remember, you know it more than they do, even yeah. if they live in your district. Like I just personally, not to sound creepy, 
I'm aware of like what neighborhood my representatives live in and they're not my neighborhood. And yet we're still in the same district. So I can explain something and even they will be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that is a problem. You do know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, like it's the reason why lobbying does need to exist is because mm-hmm. our representatives of both the state and national level can't be educated about everything at all times. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. And so like, that is why that's why lobbies exist. It's just, there needs to be lobbies for, more things and both sides of things than yes. the rich and powerful. But, right. um, all right. So, you know, we've now had about 50 ish <laughs> minutes of us yelling at our uh, state legislature, <laughs> which is about, about on average, but I know Tom, Tommy, I know that you, because I'm doing it, have a, have a new project coming out soon. If you would like to plug that right now before we, uh, before we say goodbye to you. Sure. I've been working with Jesse who is amazing and he has been, uh, You've been dealing with my chaotic energy I love quite it. well, and I super appreciate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should have seen me at this conference. I was presenting, and it, I was everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's a new podcast called uh, Policy in Pink, and I think it's a really good example of becoming an expert and you know, demystifying the policy and entering the public system, because we can't. So... What you end up hearing at the Capitol is going to be regurgitated numbers and talking points. And Policy in Pink, I talk to the people across the state who are like literally doing it, not just reading a fact sheet, to hopefully put it into the broadcast into the world that these are the real statements of the real people doing it. And what was the impetus was last year, there was a study that was brought up in reference to trans health and kids regretting their gender affirming care but if you looked at the study it's and it was widely used because the numbers looked great to ban gender affirming care for minors but when you looked at the study itself it was severely discredited because the study itself was done bad it was 100 percent bunk but there was no way to get that down there you know so that's what we're hoping, I'm hoping the podcast will kind of provide is like this megaphone of, hey, these are the real statements, the real, the real life, what's happening. Very cool. Well, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on, I guess, uh, Metriarch's Instagram and TikTok page. Oh, uh, God. I don't want to have to do the TikToks again. Okay. All right. <laughs> Instagram page. No, no, no. I, so, yeah, that's another good one. If you ever want a good rundown, like a quick rundown of, the what's going on in the legislature in reference to what metric is watching facebook instagram and tiktok all have are gonna have they have one minute rundowns it's me i talk fast and wear a pink blazer <laughs> i've seen the blazer in person it's fantastic i would excellent i will get my own at some point to add to my blazer collection tommy thank you so much for coming on and reminding us how again that are we live in a system that is we elect people who then need to be educated by other people to pass laws upsetting other people. Thank you. And, and you know, you should come to the website, metriarchok.org. That's not just a plug. It's also to make yeah. a statement. Not all the bills are bad. I won't say how many are, are, are bad, but not all of them are bad. <laughs> and some like, of them are, like 90, 10. Some, yeah, probably. Yeah. And some of them <laughs> actually have movement potential and they've moved before and yet they've been reintroduced. So like, it's not total doom and gloom. <laughs> Total. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a so you're telling us there's a chance. Yeah. There's there's stuff. <laughs> there's stuff. Again, so for our listeners, like on I imagine uh Metriarch takes money, right? Like people can give you money. 
Can you donate <laughs> yes. and give you money? All right, just yes. checking. I, I would. Uh, Can I, I give I, you I money? Get my, I want to get the pink blazer tailored so it's a little more form-fitting. Yeah. So, yeah, I need money for that. Yes. All right. Listen, as as the one person who came on this podcast needing money that we actually raised some money for, like I just want to keep that streak you going. Keep the money train going. I want to keep the money train for Tommy going. You know, people I've, people I've, respond to Tommy. I've done this. I've done uh, you know fundraisers and stuff before, and for some reason, just pay. Yeah, pay. Give me money so I can make fact sheets. That's just not as it's not as sexy. Just, yeah, it's not a it's not a winner. <laughs> yeah, if we can get those fact sheets put on the back of the blazers, though, oh, like I think that oh. would be you know something to think about. about. Yeah, think about it. All right. Uh, well, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, and thank you. Please follow Tommy everywhere, and um, you know, subscribe to uh, Policy and Pink. It's gonna be fun. Thank you all for listening to our conversation with Tommy. Follow Policy and Pink on social media. It's a delight. And make sure to subscribe to their podcast, Policy and Pink, produced and edited by yours truly. Please make sure to follow Pod for Good on all the places. Again, I say this every episode. I'm trying, I'm trying to do TikToks. I'm failing at that miserably. I just don't want to spend the time. Anyway, please like and subscribe to this podcast and you know, leave a review. And if you do, we will read it on air. Other podcasts get people to leave reviews. I don't know why people won't leave us reviews. Come on, people. Listen, if you're going to leave us a review, do us the honorable thing. If you're not going to give us five stars, tell us why. Yes. Three star a-hole. I'm assuming it's a guy. It's kind of a guy. Anyway. Yeah, probably. Broken Arrow, I haven't, yeah, I haven't noticed you in the news lately, so you get a pass. Tulsa, get it done. And ironically, we record this episode when it was freezing outside, and we're recording this intro when it's 71. Oklahoma's weather is weird. Stay cool slash warm out there, everybody. <laughs>